Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast, the show that tackles the subject of women and violence head on and shines the light of what women need to know and do to be safe. Here's your host, fourth degree black belt and self-protection expert, Cynthia Gillicourt. Welcome to the Born to be a Badass podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Jolicoeur, and today I'm going to just be solo on the mic talking about my story a little bit, introducing you to my path to becoming a self-defense instructor and some of the realizations that I had along the way, including how I ran into one of the most common myths about self-defense. So way back when I was in my 20s, I went to Tampa, Florida to start my career And I loved going out dancing with my friends. This was the early 80s, and so going out to clubs and discos was super popular. And I loved to go out with my friends and dance and just relax after being out at work. And one night, my friends and I came out of the club probably around 1 o'clock in the morning. And we were in a sort of sketchy area of Tampa, Florida, but one that we'd been in many times before, because this was a club we used to go to regularly. And when we walked out of the club, we had to go down a long street to get to where we had parked. And along the way, we saw two men come from around a corner in front of us. And I said rather jokingly, hey, don't worry, I've got a gun which I didn't, of course. In fact, at that point in my life, I had never even seen or handled or used a firearm of any sort. Didn't even want to. Hadn't been exposed to them at all. But clearly I got a bad feeling about these guys when I saw them. And no sooner had that little joke popped out of my mouth than the two men extracted their guns from their pockets and pointed them at us. So as they came towards us, they had their guns pointed at us, and we all just froze. And when they got to us, they made us turn around and go back down the street a little ways and into a dark alley where we had to sit on the ground and hand over everything of value that we had. And that feeling that I had of sitting in the dirt and being terrified, not knowing if they were going to be content to take just our stuff but worrying that they might also want something else from us because we were two women and and two young men. I just remember feeling completely powerless and helpless and absolutely unprepared to do anything other than just comply. Lucky for us, they only wanted our jewelry, our watches, and our money. And once they had taken those things, they told us to stay put in that alleyway and not to come out for 20 minutes, because if we poked our heads out too soon, they said that they would kill us. And so my friends and I sat there in the filth, in the dark, in this alley, not able to tell how much time was passing, because of course they had taken our watches, not able to do anything at all other than just wonder whether or not enough time had passed for us to be able to come out safely. And eventually, We plucked up the courage to take a look around the corner and see if there was anybody there. And of course, the men were long gone. And my friends and I ran back to the club and told the bouncer, who was an off-duty cop, what had happened. And he just said, well, what did you expect? There's nothing I can do about that. 
And so we all went to our various homes and just basically didn't talk about it again. And I still remember spending that first night in my room with my covers over my head and all my lights on and just being terrified and wondering if I would ever feel safe again. Unfortunately, I didn't find anything right away that I could do in order to give me a sense of safety. I was not drawn to martial arts. I didn't know anything about them. And so I took a strategy of just hoping that nothing bad would happen to me again, that that was kind of a one and done thing, that I'd had my bad experience and that I wasn't going to ever encounter a dangerous situation again. And fortunately for me, for quite a long time, that strategy held up. But I did realize eventually that it was not probably the best long-term strategy. And when I approached my 30s, I actually started to get curious about martial arts, thanks to my eldest son. And I decided that I was going to give him a try. And that started a 20-plus year career in martial arts. That led me all the way through fourth-degree black belt. And I have to say, I loved every minute of it. I loved learning how to kick and how to punch and how to block things. And I loved all of the movement. And I loved how powerful I felt and strong and confident. And I really enjoyed being a martial artist. However, along the way, I had some doubts that the things that I was learning in this wonderful martial arts school were things that I'd actually be able to do if I was in another dangerous situation. Because I got to be honest, you know, there were a lot of times when I couldn't pull off the techniques that I was learning properly in class when I was not scared and I was not stressed out and where the person who was, quote, attacking me was actually a partner who was trying to help me out, not somebody intent on hurting me. And I just figured, well, if I can't do it in school, in my training, am I going to be able to do it if somebody breaks into my house or if somebody surprises me in a parking lot late at night? And I just had a nagging doubt about that. Lucky for me, as I was training for my first degree black belt, my path crossed with somebody who really changed my perspective. And that was Tony Blower. And he came in and he taught us a short little seminar for the black belt candidates, where he introduced us to his spear system. And he talked a little bit about how getting to the physical part of an encounter was really sort of the last part. And that you really should do your best to avoid being in a dangerous situation in the first place by knowing what to look for and knowing how to defuse people before they went violent. And he also said that when you had to do something physical, that it should be not something that you had to memorize and practice repeatedly. It should be based on what your body was actually designed to do. And that for me was a humongous paradigm shift. And thanks to that encounter, I started checking out what he was doing and eventually started training with him and got myself certified as one of his coaches because I realized that although I loved the martial arts, the martial arts and having to deal with a real world, real life, violent encounter with a criminal or a predator were two entirely different things. One of the things that Tony Blauer talks about is something that he calls the four categories and once I understood these, it made a lot of sense why I was uncomfortable with the martial arts part, even though I loved them. And in his world, 
The first category are these traditional martial arts. So what I was originally learning was Taekwondo, but there are a ton of them. There's Kung Fu and there's Aikido and all kinds of things. So the traditional martial arts are things where there are choreographed sequences of movements that you memorize and you practice over and over and over again until you can do them perfectly. In those wonderful traditional martial arts, it's an environment where you're in a safe school with partners who aren't actually trying to hurt you, and you don't ever train in an adrenalized state. And that's okay, because it's for something different. One reason why it's very different is because, as I learned as I was doing all my martial arts, you weren't allowed to actually touch your partner until you reached the black belt level, and then you had to do it with control. So we never really hit each other. Uh, the only time we did was when we were sparring. And you never just had like an out of the blue sparring moment. It was always something that you prepared for and put gear on for. And there were certain things that you could and couldn't do. And there was a referee who was there to start and stop the sparring round and to call points. And that's all super cool. It's fun to do. It's not the same as what happens in a real violent encounter, though. So that's category one, or all the traditional martial arts and all the, all the cool things about them. Category two are the combat sports. And those are the things that we see like boxing and fencing. Uh, nowadays, there's a lot of mixed martial arts competition like the UFC series and Strike Force, And those are a step up in the scale of violence from the traditional martial arts because in those environments, although you are consenting to engage with a partner, you know, you are agreeing to go into the ring or into the cage to fight, you're actually doing it from a competitive perspective, not actually trying to kill or severely harm the other person. You are trying to damage them because that's how you win the fight. But again, there are rules about what you can do and what you can't do. There's a referee to enforce the rules. And, you know, the fight gets stopped when one person at most knocks the other one out. Um, you don't get points for killing your partner. In fact, that would be really frowned upon. So it's a step up in the scale of violence from the traditional martial arts where you really don't hit. In fact, you practice missing most of the time. and. That also is not quite the same as what happens in violent encounters. Category three are what commonly now are labeled the reality-based self-defense programs. And those are sort of the 21st century version of the traditional martial arts. Because again, they're based on choreography. Uh, it's if this person does this, then you do that. And usually there are several options as to what you can do. So. If there is a punch coming towards your head from the right side, you can block, you can slip underneath it, you can pull your head back out of the way so you're not in range, you can block and counter, all kinds of things that you can do. But it's all based on if this attack comes in, then you do this defense. And again, it's consensual and there are things that you can and cannot do. Some examples of these reality-based self-defense systems are things like Krav Maga and the Russian Sistema. With these reality-based systems, one big difference between them and real-world violence is that 
they do still rely on choreographed sequences of movements that you need to memorize. And often it's a series of things where you have to strike in one area and then a specific second area and then a specific third area using particular techniques. And that's all great in a training environment, but in a real violent encounter, that ability in the instant to specifically follow a sequence that's programmed for you is not very realistic. It's very rare that you would actually be able to carry out that exact sequence of movements in a real attack, but it's closer to the real world of violence. So those are categories one, two, and three. Traditional martial arts, combat sports, and then what is now known as reality-based self-defense. And that leaves one other category, and that is the world that Tony Blauer lives in. It's the world where two of the other coaches that I work with, Rory Miller and Tim Larkin, have spent many, many years, and it's the world that I am most interested in. And that's the world of real violent encounters, real-world violence. In this area, the focus is on studying the bad guys, studying the predators, studying the perpetrators, and understanding what they do, looking at how they attack, looking at how they prepare for attacks, looking at the warning signs and the signals and the manipulations that they use so that we can effectively recognize them and take action to keep ourselves safe. It's a world where we don't consent to be in an interaction. We don't have advance notice that it's coming. There are no referees who are going to step in and say, no, no, that kind of a strike is not allowed. It's a world where it literally can be a life and death situation. It's a world where the person that we're dealing with really does intend to harm us. And it's a world where we have to take action because if we don't, we could actually lose everything. So after I understood these categories and after I'd been working with Tony Blauer for a while, I realized that many of the people who are engaged in training in this world of real violent encounters, they're all dudes. There's not very many women who are working in this area. Not very many women who are training women in this area. And many of the programs and many of the courses are designed for law enforcement and military people, not for ordinary folks. So I want to change that. That's why I teach the courses that I do. That's why I created my Born to be a Badass prep school. And for me, it's really important to bring the knowledge and the tools and the skills to ordinary people, to the most vulnerable people, and to give people what they need so that if their path ever crosses with that of a violent predator, they do no more than I did when my path crossed with those muggers. Another interesting thing about training in the realm of real-world violence is that obviously we can't go full-on and do real violent encounters when we train, because we would end up with our participants, whether they were the students or the helpers, being injured or killed. And obviously, we can't do that. So what we do is we do reality-based scenarios where we reverse engineer particular scenarios and 
train our brains how to recognize what's going on and where we actually get to go through that oh shit moment of an ambush and where we get to actually apply the natural tools that we have to solving the problems that the attacker or the bad guy, as we call him, is presenting. We do what Coach Blower likes to call the most realistic fake shit we can come up with. Now, I mentioned back at the beginning that I was going to share one of the myths that I encountered along the way that really changed how I thought about self-defense and about martial arts and training. And that is the idea that you have to study a long time. You have to train for many years in order to be able to protect yourself. I mean, heck, I spent 20 years and went all the way through fourth degree black belt thinking that that was what was going to make me safe. And the truth is it doesn't take that because it, it may take you 20 years to get to fourth degree black belt in a particular martial art because there's so much to memorize and because the goal is to be able to carry it out perfectly. But if your goal is to know how to keep yourself and your loved ones safe out in the world, your goal is to learn how to detect and avoid danger and how to de-escalate people when they're starting to get amped up and how to deal with a physical encounter effectively and efficiently if you have to, well, it doesn't take you decades to do that and you don't have to earn black belts in order to do that. What you do need to do is you need to do training that is based on the real world. You need to do something that focuses on understanding the behavior of the bad guys and gives you the tools to deal with those situations. So that's what I teach. That's what I do. That's what I love. And that's one reason why I started this podcast is to bring that kind of knowledge to the population of people that I love to work with, which are those who are the most vulnerable and the most concerned, and also with those who have already experienced some sort of violence or abuse in their past. There's another thing that I learned along the way was that just because you've experienced something doesn't mean that you're going to forever be powerless or have your path dictated by what you already experienced. In fact, going through a really good training program where you actually can reverse engineer an attack that you were subjected to can be really empowering and can help you discover different ways to deal with the same situation. And it can reprogram your brain so that if you're ever in a similar situation, you have more options available. So that's my rant for today. Just a little bit about my story and what led me to teaching what I like to call intrinsic self-defense and self-protection which is what's based on what's already in you. It's inherent in you. It can't be taken out of you or taken away from you, and it can't be used against you. It's tapping into your own natural powers and your own abilities to keep yourself safe and to do so through understanding really who the enemy is as well as who you are as a human being. So thanks for joining me on this episode. I hope you'll join me next time for a new episode of the Born to Be a Badass podcast. You've been listening to the Born to Be a Badass podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode and be sure to share it with your friends. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and a review. Tune in regularly for more exciting insights and wisdom on women, violence, and safety. And until next time, embrace your inner badass.